This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. The views and opinions expressed by the Civil Defense Association are those of the Civil Defense Association and not reflect the official policy or position of EM Weekly or their advertisers. Any contact provided by the Civil Defense Association are their opinion and are not intended to malign any club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, and I'm your host, Todd DeVoe, here with EM Weekly, and I have with me my co-host, Dan Scott. Dan, how are you doing this morning? Good morning. morning. Doing well. How are you doing, my, my friend? Doing well, man. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about the American Civil Defense Association and, and who are they and and why should we care realistically, right? And September, though, if you guys didn't know, is National Preparedness Month. I'm sure you guys are all excited about this coming up. And so on the Ian Weekly Show, we are going to discuss community organizations and, and why they're important to the national conversation. And I want to kick it off a little early right? Because there's so much stuff going on out there. And I wanted to bring in the American Civil Defense Association, who I, I've known about for a little bit. I, and I, you know, learning more about them too, it's amazing. Dan, these guys have been around since 1962. And they basically started out as, ba after the the Cuban Missile Crisis, or around that time, uh, during the Cold War, and really getting communities involved in preparedness basically for the war. And obviously they shifted um, to general emergency management stuff, um, you know, as things moved on as well. But they're a nonprofit organization. They have a magazine. They have a cool little store uh, that you can buy stuff from. You can join. It doesn't cost anything to join the organization. Um, and and they're, they're, they've been around for a while. They're doing good work. And I'm really excited to have um, with us today, uh, we have Bruce coming from the organization. And he, Bruce is an interesting guy. He ha he's also a poet. So, Bruce, welcome to the Ian Weekly Show. Honored to be here. Good morning. Good morning. So, I gave a little synopsis of the civil defense, you know, organization that you that you're part of. You are the vice president, right? Correct. Yes. Bio is so, on the website. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great bio, by the way. Uh, uh, thank you. Go, go to the website. It's in the show notes. Um, check out everything they're doing. It's it's a, it's an amazing organization. And I actually signed up. I, when I was looking at it, I, I put membership recently has been climbing uh, yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I and I think one of the things that we talk about here is the idea of shifting from the culture of response, right? Where what I mean by this is nationwide, we call nine one one, we expect somebody to come to the culture of preparedness, and I right. think an organization like yours is 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 really so. Tell me, Bruce. Tell me, no, first, how did you get involved in the organization? Actually, when I was in the Air Force, I had an additional duty. I was stationed at Eglin in Florida. And in the 80s, there was a terrible problem, of course, with hurricanes. And so each month I participated in an emergency exercise to help the people who were in the hospital uh, to get out quickly and then get back in. And so when I got out of the Air Force, uh, 
I went to an interview with a guy and it turns out he had been a professor of mine at the University of Pennsylvania. He didn't recognize me. I didn't recognize him. But his name was uh, James W. Morantz. And he was already a legend because he had created this software package way back when software was just beginning in this field uh, for the National Governors Association. He had a lot of experience in Africa and then he applied it to here. And so anyway, uh, through that, I got to be a writer for Hazard Monthly, which if you go back then, you know, would have a huge article about FEMA. And at that time, emergency operations centers were still active all over the country. And so our little Hazard Monthly in its little world of emergency operations centers was a big deal. Nobody outside the field knew it, but lots of people in it knew it. Sure. And as a tertiary duty, uh, I had to travel around and inspect emergency operations centers. And as we discussed, when I would pull the book off the shelf, their disaster response plan, and it was always a disaster response plan at that time, it, I blew dust off it because... <laughs> All these places, that's how they got money from the federal government. And they didn't really use it for the, the disaster preparation. They used it for whatever the politician at that time wanted it used for. So and it was kind of interesting. Like Most of them were not that good. Uh, Texas was outstanding. California was outstanding. North Dakota was outstanding. Uh, they're the three are Florida. They, they were the ones that were absolutely the best. And so I started to learn it at the time. And then from then, I went into management consulting and ended up at the World Bank. And uh, my wife kept emphasizing we needed more bread and butter thing where consulting was feast and famine. So I got, <laughs> so I got to be a, a tech writer and uh, I, I always missed it. And then uh, I started to uh, do volunteer work um, in various things. And then I ended up uh, writing articles, uh, one of which was picked up by the Journal of Civil Defense. And then within a couple of months, they asked me to join, which I was happy to do. And then I ended up on the board of directors and then I ended up vice president and uh, the whole time. It's just remarkable how it's grown. Uh, it started, as you said, 1962. Uh, Dr. Edward Teller was the founder. That name rings a bell. Atomic energy scientist. Absolutely brilliant. And I just I have two lines uh, that I have on my email. I'd like to read that sure. has a lot to say to your uh people. In the most dangerous situation, we have chosen the most dangerous of courses. We've chosen not to face our danger. Perhaps one of the most common misconceptions among Americans is that if a major wide-scale nuclear, biological, or chemical disaster strikes, chances of survival would be extremely low. In reality, however, this couldn't be further from the truth. Many will survive and most will not be prepared. There are many dangerous threats that do exist. However, for each threat, there are practical preparedness solutions that exist as well. And uh, in some uh, business things, I got to familiar with business continuity planning and uh, fell into that as well. But he, he's absolutely correct. What people do, uh, they're kind of like two ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, uh, oh, well, nuke's going to take me out. Why prepare for it? Well, meanwhile, no, actually, most people survive. And so you better be ready to plant food and get, you know, that's why TACTA has this stuff, you know, so the stuff in California for the uh, Fukushima, they, unfortunately, the stuff they're, they're selling, it was like Chinese. It wasn't good. And this stuff's the real stuff that protects you. Uh, so you, you can't survive nuclear. So if you can survive nuclear, you can survive a flood, you can survive electrical tsunami, the whole threat matrix. And on the other hand, there are people who uh, it's just human nature. I mean, and that's where I think like 1% of the people prepare the other 99% respond. It's just the way, you know, 35, 40 years I've been in it, that just seems to always be the case. And so there's always an education process, uh, which I started at the Emergency Management Institute, which I've continued over the years with PowerPoints and things. And the nice thing about TACTA is now I have a home where 
I can produce articles uh, like 2015, it was uh, ISIS using social media as a force multiplier. And then that was picked up by people in the field that really appreciated it because they weren't familiar with how they were doing what they were doing online. And so uh, I, I try to stay current with what's going on out there right now. And that's it in a nutshell. So, so let me ask this. So, and you said something very, um, very specific that I want to touch on, is the the preparedness aspect versus those who um, who respond are not ready to respond to uh, emergencies. So, what is the uh, American Civil Defense Association doing to move the the needle from um, not prepared to prepared? Okay, the what I would suggest is go to the TACTA website, tacda.org. And on there, we spent two years redoing it. And there's a Roseanne Hasserit is, is our Hasserit is our executive director. And she's done a phenomenal job because she took it from a little website to GoDaddy. And so on there, you have you can imagine all these years, decades and decades of the Journal of Civil Defense. It's absolutely fascinating. In the beginning, it was a broadsheet, maybe one page, two page, then it grew into 15 pages. But everything back then is on paper. And then about 10 years ago, it starts to go digital and paper, but you have all the paper documents for the past 40 or 50 years. And now you have all the digital documents. Over those four decades, they've taught classes. And in these classes, they've accumulated uh, a tremendous amount of knowledge about every disaster you can imagine. And so they have all these lessons, all this coursework, and extremely well written. Everything's in plain English. It's meant for uh, the average mom and dad with kids so that they can learn to uh, be prepared. Uh, if you go to the website, there's something called the survival store. And in the survival store, you have uh, certain uh, products. We vet them all so that you have something called a provident prepper. And this is a family with a lot of children in Utah. And they've been doing this for years. The, the, the father is a uh, water expert. And the mother is a, an expert in everything else that you can imagine. And so they've put together a book called The Provident Prepper. And in that book, you will find 378 pages. I, I did a review of it on uh, Blogspot, which is my uh, poetslife.blogspot.com. And so if you don't want to read the book or buy the book, it's, it's all there in a summary. But the point is, if you just got that book, it, it's everything from uh, food preparation to how to do the will for your kids. That book alone can educate millions of Americans if they read it, if they apply it. And so you have all the TACTA Journal Civil Defense articles, you have all of the coursework, and then you have all of uh, what I was just explaining in the book and the other products that are there. So uh, it's become a, a big website, but it's a, a very well organized and a very simple website. And I would encourage everyone to go there and to see what's there and you know, maybe sign up. Uh, Roseanne was smart enough to make it free for people to sign up, which is really smart. And so uh, that alone bumped us up. But of course, the, the past six months, things have been going gangbusters and more people are joining. So uh, to kind of piggyback on Dan's question here, what kind of stuff do you have in your on your website that will help emergency managers, you know, I mean, we're, as you can tell, in emergency management, we have so many hats that we wear, and preparedness is just one of them. Right. What What do you have that can help the emergency manager um, get people prepared in their communities? Because the search engine. The, the The thing about the reason we spent so much time, and I personally went through hundreds of issues in the Journal of Civil Defense, was to make sure 
one that we preserve the information. The amazing thing about this field and the different things I've been involved in is nothing is new. I mean, mm -hmm. we think it is, but it's not. You know, you go back to the Greeks and the Romans, the Egyptians, it's all the Bible. And so uh, all those articles are just the most current, by current, I mean the last 40 years. So the search engine, uh, I'm very careful about search engine optimization. And so I put lots of extra terms in there. So if somebody just stumbles upon something, they'll get articles. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, this is, uh, I, I did a whole piece on children and civil defense. And you can see the other articles that are in here, very family friendly. The whole point of this is it's very family friendly, is to educate families because that's the first school. And so uh, all of these articles are in there. And with these articles, even if you've been in the field for years, you'd be surprised. And that's one of the things I love about this field is it never ends. There's, there's always avenues that you can explore and learn. Sure. And so I would spend time on the website and then bring up some articles. And I think you can learn a lot there. And so this is something that, now, is there, let me, rephrase the, let me rephrase this question here for a second. Is there like local chapters that you can point to, or is it just a national chapter? So if you're in, uh, you know, Beaumont, Montana or whatever, could you, uh, is there a group of people that you can go with, or is this something just completely online? The, right now, uh, there are local chapters, but they're mostly on the West Coast, uh, Utah, and other, Idaho. Um the original idea was to have the entire net because, you know, 1962, think about it. You know, people were actually digging out their basements. They were preparing, they were grabbing food because it was real. I mean, I knew guys that deployed to Cuba at that time. I've, I've since met them, you know, not when I was a kid. But uh, and so it was real. I mean, we, we came very close to thermonuclear war and have several times since then. And it did, well, I'll give you an example. I was just out of Peak Creek. Uh, I never knew this, but 1964, a B-52 Stratofortress and the blizzard conditions went down on uh, Mount, uh, Mount Savage Mountain out there. And so the people went out, there were two nuclear bombs on it. Of course, they weren't ready to go off, but it was still a pretty hairy situation. And so situations like that have happened over the years. Nobody knows about them, but they're, they're critical. And so uh, if your membership would go to the website, I think they can see, you know, obviously in these few minutes, I can't get into all of it, but sure. there's, there's what I call, when I do tech writing, uh, I did one on an anthrax machine that was to uh, parse ants. It's very difficult in a post office, but it, they developed it. Anyway, that was called a store of knowledge manual, meaning that it was 800, 900 pages thick because if they go back 20 years from now, all the information and knowledge they need is still there. And I consider the, the tactile website to be the same thing. There's this enormous store of knowledge there, and anybody is free to go and tap it to learn it, to use it for their family, and to advance the field. So let me ask this this question, and it kind of piggybacks off my first question. Um, what type of what type type of outreach do you have in your organization to reach those individuals that you're wanting to target? There are a couple. Well, there are three things. Uh, one is the Journal of Civil Defense, which is picked up by uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of libraries. You'd have to speak to uh, Roseanne to find out. I, I know it's hundreds; it might be thousands, because it's a very cheap subscription. And for those that are interested in civil defense. Uh, it's a great thing to have. And so the Journal of Civil Defense is one avenue of outreach uh, using the, uh, you know, Google and the rest of them so that the SEOs come up at the top, right, when they search for it and it's there. Uh, and but is, is there, is, do you want me to drill down a little with this answer or? Sure. I mean, we'd like to know, like, how, how do what are you doing to reach your target audience? OK. Yeah. Uh, 
I personally have had uh, poetslife.blogspot.com for 20 years. In there, you will find Eplex, the emergency exercise over here at the airport, which is, you'll see me with a bloody eye hanging out because that's how I did it with the Milage. I was a seven-year-old child. So I have lots of disaster exercises on there. I've written uh, church plans. I did the disaster recovery plan for our town. Anyway, again, it's a store of knowledge for 20 years. So that's what I do personally. And on a lot of that, it ends up in these articles that go there and are used. So that's one end. If you go on the site, you see Metag, M-E-T dot P-A-G. Uh, they've been doing really high quality med tags for years, which are you familiar with what that is when you have a, a triage situation and you have to put something on the toe or the finger of the person to say dead can be worked on or uh, good to go. Right. So it has everything is in there. So that med tag goes out to hundreds and hundreds of emergency medical technicians, fire companies. Uh, FEMA and federal agencies, state agencies, and local agencies. So, so they know about TACTA from that angle that uh, they're buying MedTag or they bought MedTag for the past 20, 30 years. And so through that avenue, they're introduced to it. So that, that's a, and the, the survival store, uh, believe it or not, actually does a decent business because <laughs> their items on there they can't find anywhere else. Sure. And I, I think that's what people trust. They go back time and again because, uh, well, that burn cream. Uh, just phenomenal stuff. You know, I've used it several times and it's better than anything I found on the market. And that's the good thing about everybody out there uh, vets it. And so we don't allow anything on there that's just junk. And that's kind of, I mean, in this field, you're constantly fighting this uh, negative image that preppers have. And I have no issues with preppers. And I think it's really a shame that uh, the media has given them, I mean, it's almost like they're the KKK these days. And they're, most of the ones I've met are good people. Uh, most of them are rural. They've been preparing because they grew up on a farm and they understand things can be scarce. And in the United States these days, that's what everybody just learned. You know, with, I was doing periscopes uh, every week, doing stress tests for the grocery stores because people didn't realize that they could run out of toilet paper. Or they didn't realize they could run out of milk or meat or whatever. And so that idea is there. But just like any disaster situation I've been in, a month later, a year later, people completely forget and so that's why it's not education, it's constant re-education. It's constantly bringing it back to them. So, hey, I want to take a quick, we have to take a quick break right now. But when we come back, I want to discuss the difference between being prepared and what being the prepper is. Okay. Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around? Something you can carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. Nanquest has been making the ultra durable bags and packs since 2011. And clients such as the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. Open. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user from the experience, such as the high visibility interior for the users. I'm telling you something. I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. And if you put an E in weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed 
mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Hey, welcome back from that uh, quick break. And uh, thank you for listening to our sponsors because without them, you know, we, uh, we really couldn't do what we do. And hey, everybody, just to let you know, um, today at 11 o'clock um, Pacific time, we have a really great webinar coming up for Ian Weekly webinar. And if you guys haven't registered, go ahead and go to the show notes and, and or you can click on that and register right now because we're going to be talking about, you know, realistically reopening up after uh, or during this COVID thing and and some of the technology that's out there that can help out and and really try to see what we could do to move our economy and our nation forward during this crisis. So Bruce, easy question, long answer probably. <laughs> so we 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 talk about the idea of preppers. We hear this all the time, you know, of, of what that means and and but at the same time we tell people, hey, we need you to be uh, disaster prepared. Um, but then we kind of make fun of the people that become preppers. What's the difference between, let's say, the doomsday prepper and somebody who is just preparing their house for a disaster? Or is there a difference? Hollywood. Unfortunately, yeah, that movie I told you about, it's a disaster. That's the way people see preppers. Even though they were preppers, they were a bunch of yuppies. They couldn't manage anything in that disaster. It's a funny movie. But it's uh, Hollywood and I would say the way the networks have portrayed preppers. And, and it's unfortunate because, I mean, obviously prepping goes back to the beginning of time. You know, you don't survive until you figure out how to use that fire and get outside the cave. Uh, the, you know, like uh, to me, it's, it's not foolish or they shouldn't ridicule uh, someone that has, has a water brick, right? So with that water brick, you can have a year's worth of water with just a pallet. You can build furniture and you can build a structure out of it. Uh, and you have the, the nozzle so you can brush your teeth or, you know, if you have a power failure, bring it in. Now, that's that's a necessary product. It's was developed. I won't go to the history of it, but the point is it's an unbelievable product. I've, I've never seen it in a Hollywood movie or on TV when they talk about preppers. Uh, they obviously kind of find certain people and then they go and film them. And the whole point of those is ridicule. I don't like being ridiculed. I don't think most people like being ridiculed. And so if I'm preparing because I've almost died five times in my life or I've had experiences where I understand the difference between being ready and not being ready, who lives and who dies, I see it a little bit differently. And that's why for a lot of people in the military or who have been in the military, they understand it. And so you don't even have to explain it to them. It, it, it comes to them naturally. I have a friend over here, uh, Marino in Okinawa, 10th degree black belt, 25 years at the police department SWAT team. Now he's an author and actually they're after him for a book called The Hounds of Hell that they're supposed to be producing about a police department he worked in. But uh, Jim is a uh, prepper in the sense that he's preparing, but I would never use that term for him. You know, he, he, he bought a big piece of land. He's on a well like I am. If you're on a well, you have to have a reliable supply of water. My uh, wife's family has an orchard in West Virginia. Like he says, the government collapses. doesn't mean anything to me. I grow all my own food. I have everything I need. Why do I need the government? You know, and so that's where uh, kind of the, the nexus for me is that difference between uh, basically it's being educated and having the knowledge and, and especially historical knowledge about the things that can happen and how you can make sure you're ready for them so that 
not only your family is protected, which is the thing I did. I told you I gave the local police department and the state police department masks and gloves because Hogan's over here at Annapolis talking about all these things he's doing. And meanwhile, all the police don't have PPE. Okay, so that that's where, uh, to me, you know, I'm, I'm not a prepper. I'm just a guy who's been involved in this for a long time. And so I understand civil defense. And that's that's the term I, I prefer uh, because it was a wonderful program. I studied it. It did incredible things. Even then, it wasn't listened to. You know, the, the majority of people were preparing, but a good percentage of people were. You know, my college dorm at Penn, the first five stories, it was built in 1961, were underground with 12-foot concrete walls. And they had the, the old bins in them with the uh, amulets of uh, heroin and so forth and the crackers and the water and everything. And they even broke it into it. But the, the point is they were preparing back then. And I've seen other things in my lifetime where I know people were preparing. And uh, what's interesting now is they're not really ridiculing the preppers anymore because the people that had a year's worth of food, a year's worth of water, medical supplies, some gasoline, maybe a generator and a few tools or whatever else, they were ready or a little bit of silver. I mean, you know, the, the currency, they were nervous. So people had a little bit of silver or gold, like those things you, you associate with it. And so what I think is happening is that all that mocking and ridicule is over. And the professionals like myself that are involved in it are happy that people are waking up to it and hope that they learn what they need to learn and get the tools they need to get in order to survive the next one. Because uh, China tried to release COVID-20 and 21, and we blocked them, okay? They, they got a sucker punch in with 19, but it's not going to happen with, with the other strains. And, and that's the difference. That, that's where the knowledge comes in. And the thing they found out in the 60s with the civil defense program is you couldn't tell everyone everything that was out there because people went nuts. They ended up in mental hospitals. They, they just couldn't think about nuclear war all day long, nor should they have to. You know, so uh, that's what I would say is uh, just have common sense, just be reasonable and just uh, with your knowledge of the events that have happened so far, plan for the next one, knowing something I specialize in is anomalies and secondaries. You're always going to have anomalies. You're always going to have secondaries, but you're also going to have that, that central piece of things in place so that you can deal with the anomalies and the secondaries and you don't get tripped up. So with the with civil defense, I mean, and so you know, ultimately emergency management and and home, now homeland security, it all originated from civil defense. Right. So and you, so and you said you you prefer the term civil defense um, to right. compared to emergency management. And so with the transition that's happening, and I and I've talked to many people that that believe that you know civil defense we should still be called civil defense um, with everything that we do and how we do it. But do you feel with the because you're using civil defense mainly for preparedness? With emergency management, homeland security, we talk about prevention, mitigation, um, and and uh, re response and recovery, and all these you know the mission the missionaries. Um, so, how do you relate your company, what you do with with the modern day emergency management? Well, first of all, it's not a company; it's a charity. Okay. It's a four hundred one c. Nobody makes any money. I mean, it, it's it barely gets by. It almost went out of business, or if you want to call it. We had to surrender our charter like two years ago because things were you know going down. So it's not, a, it's not a business, it's a charity. So what I'm doing is charity work. I, I do volunteer work. I'm on my safety and security committee at church. Uh, I do all other volunteer work. So, so that's the emphasis. Uh, the difference for me is that civil defense meant civilians. Uh, emergency management becomes professionals, highly trained professionals. And then homeland security became a bureaucracy. 
And, and I've been in bureaucracies. I know how they work and what they can do and what they can't do. And so that's how I, I divide it up. It's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, I, lo I love the civil defense thing because in there you can say, okay, civilians understand because when that guy was in ward nine standing there saying, where's FEMA, where's FEMA, where's FEMA, where's the man? FEMA is only going to show up three weeks later and write checks. You know, you, you have to do something before that happens. You have to walk across that bridge nine miles. If you have to walk your family nine miles, you have to walk them nine miles to get them out there. I mean, a guy, a local guy from our emergency operations center is a helicopter pilot. He went down there and he took people off roofs. And he said the only two words he never heard, and he took a lot of people off roofs, was thank you. And that's, that's what's happened in the, to our nation. I mean, you go back to the Victory Gardens of World War II, and my parents, my grandparents' generation, and, and my wife's family out at the orchards, people knew how to do without, people knew how to survive and get by, and people knew how to love and cooperate with their neighbors and everyone else in order to get through the crises. And so much of that, over it's just fallen apart over the years for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But but the thing is, and that's the thing I always emphasize, circle back to the preppers. What always bothered me with the prepper thing was it was always an individual and nobody survives alone. <laughs> nobody survives alone. I know from experience. And so I said, you know, okay, they say, oh, you know, I have my gun in my house, my AR-15, they come on my property. It's like, no, no, you have to have your family, you have to have your neighbors, you have to have the, the, the greater community around you, your church. Yeah. If you're going to make it in the long run, you're not going to do that on your own. And so that's yeah, where, yeah. And so that's where I say that's where I separate out, you know, the, the prepper thing and the civil defense thing. Civil defense thing takes a lot of work. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. No, it does. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, William Forsham. Uh, he's an author. He wrote the book One Second After. Uh, really good book if you ever read it. By the way, uh, we had yeah. him on the show a couple times. And anyway, he in his book he goes through that idea of of um what it is to rebuild a community after being isolated. So in the, in the story, he's in the mountains of North Carolina, a uh, small college town gets it. And, and anyway, so it's a long story, but he talks about that, the idea of community. And I think you're right at the end of the day, Bruce, that well, it, it, it is about community. It, this is, uh, I wrote a, a big article about Joplin when that happened for a reason. Uh, Joplin was the first time that the kids communicated uh, via social media. And so there's hundreds of kids that would have been killed 10 years before in that high school were actually able to live. And so Joplin's a fascinating example of how, because it's Midwest, I think. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Like that doctor was driving down the road and he just went right to an emergency room and started taking care of hundreds of injured people. He has an article in here as well, the storm doctor. Uh, and so uh, that's an example to me of how, if, if you want an example of how a community comes together before, during, and after the event, it's Joplin, Missouri. It was amazing what they did, just amazing. And so uh, that's where I'm a big believer in every, like my safety and security committee, it's 12 people, maybe any meeting, three to six can attend, but that's fine. Over three years, we created a uh, uh, emergency operation plan, a disaster recovery plan, memorandum of understanding, and instructions for all the teachers, the catechists, so that they can get the kids out. Uh, and so, I didn't do that. You know, I, I had one le one small area here, and then this firefighter had those skills. This police, ex policeman had these skills. Uh, this guy in government intelligence had those skills. And so everybody, the twelve of us, were able to put it together. 
And I keep checking uh, the Blessed Mother statue, and as of today, nobody's cut her head off or spray, spray paint on her. And uh, I made him get the bricks out of the back that, you know, Antifa could just take it through through the windows and burn it to the ground. So, so we're taking measures to protect our church as a, as a committee, as a group. Right. You know, it's not just me. So as we so as we wrap up here, um, can you so how do people find you? How do people locate you know you online and and if they want to connect with you, uh, how do they how do they locate you? Easiest way is to enter uh, Poets Life, which ex Air Force you, you know you always have the handle. My ha handle has always been Poets Life, P O E T S L I F E. So it's uh, subscribe star backslash Poets Life, Poets Life Periscope TV, a little bit different. And, and that is, it would be Poets Life with the number one. So, but it all goes back to Poets Life. So if you enter Poets Life in any search engine, hopefully Start Page are the ones that don't track you <laughs> and use your information. Uh, it's It'll come up. Things will come up. And there's a lot of information on there. And how do they find the uh, civil defense? Um... TACDA, T-A-C-D-A dot O-R-G. And anybody that wants to contact me, they're welcome to poetslife.gmail.com poetslife.gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Dan, thank you so much for, for being my co-host. Brian, great job on the on the back end. Bruce, again, thank you for your time uh, as thank well. You. And hey, look, at find us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, on your favorite podcast player, uh, Twitter, uh, all the social media sites. Share this information, and we're looking forward to uh, starting next month with the National Preparedness Month. And don't forget today, that we have our webinar. So see you guys all hopefully at the webinar or next week. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.